Welcome back to Playing Crash Diaries with me, your host and pilot, Des Latham. This is episode 35. We're probing Aeromethico Flight 498 from Mexico City to Los Angeles in California. On Sunday, August 31st, 1986, a McDonnell Douglas DC-9 was hit in the tail by a Piper PA-28 Cherokee registration November 4891 Foxtrot and crashed into the Los Angeles suburb of Cerritos killing all 64 on board the DC-9, three members of the Kramer family on the Piper, and incredibly 15 more people on the ground, 82 dead in total. First, a big thank you to Rochelle Neely for the suggestion to cover this tale and for facing her demons in doing so. Her family home in the suburb of Cerritos was flattened by the plane. It came down in what was one of the most shocking accidents of that period. The photographs of the area she shared resemble a war zone, What we're looking at is how the disaster led to some significant improvements in safety. Unfortunately, this accident was a long time coming, as horrible as that sounds, and as you're going to hear. It all revolved around the rules at the time that placed a heavy burden on pilots to avoid collisions, even in what were called terminal control areas, TCAs. The technique was called see and avoid. Aircraft that were operating in VFR or visual flight rules were expected to stick to certain altitudes, while those operating on flights, such as IFR, fly higher. Compounding the threats, there were no TCAS or traffic collision avoidance systems on board any of the planes of the era, nor were there Mode C flight transponders required in VFR planes flying into these TCAs. The signs were all there that this was going to lead to something significant. There had been at least 200 incursions into the LATCA in the year up to August 1986. And in a three-year period between 1985 and 1988, there were over 1,600 near-mid-air collisions, or NMACs, reported to the FAA across the U.S. alone. 341 of these were classified critical, 887 potential, and the remainder were called no-hazard. All of these were linked to what was called the pilot's see-and-do avoidance training. In a sky filling up rapidly with aircraft of all types, pilots were expected to avoid collisions mainly using their Type 1 observation tool, their eyes, backed up by the onboard computers, their brains. This was asking for trouble as the pressure grew. So without further ado, here are some of the facts. The Aeromethico plane was a McDonnell Douglas DC-932 registration X-ray Alpha Juliet Echo Delta first operated by Delta Airlines in 1969 before going into service with Aeromethico in November 1979. It was flying from Mexico City to LA International Airport, LAX, with intermediate stops at Guadalajara, Lorito and Tijuana. It was well-maintained, no glitches. November 4891 Foxtrot was a privately operated Piper PA-28, owned by a 53-year-old William Kramer, who was the pilot of the doomed light plane at the time of the accident. He and his 51-year-old wife Kathleen and 26-year-old daughter Caroline had taken off from Torrance, north of Long Beach in LA, for the flight to Big Bear City, about 126 miles due west of LA. Kramer had 231 flight hours of flying time and had moved to Southern California from Spokane in Washington. He was described as a cautious pilot. More about this in a moment. The crew of Flight 498 were 46-year-old Captain Arturo valdez Prom and First Officer José Hector Valentia, who was 26. The captain had 4,632 hours of flying in the DC-9 and a total of 10,641 flight hours. 
The first officer had flown 1,463 hours, 1,245 of those in DC-9s. After the stops in Guadalajara, Lorito and Tijuana, it was a short hop to LA. At 1,151 and 18 seconds, Flight 498 was cleared to descend to 6,000 feet. Air Mexico 498, reduce speed to 210. 210, 498. Runway 52-25, the traffic is now, picture turn left heading 230, the traffic's at 11 o'clock in a mile. 230, 52-25, roger. I understand you have him in sight? Yes, sir, we got him in sight. 52 follow that aircraft, east for 25 right, you're cleared for a visual approach to runway 25 left. Things began to go wrong when the pilot of a Grumman Tiger, November 1566 Romeo, contacted the controller. He'd wandered into the TCA and was about to get an earful from Walter White, the air traffic controller. The Grumman pilot informed Walter White that he was on a VFR flight from Fullerton to Monterey, California, via Van Nuys. He asked for ATC flight following services, but his first radio call went unanswered. The ATC requested the pilot set his transponder code to 4524. Then the Air Mexico flight's runways changed. Air Mexico 498, to expect the ILS runway 24 right approach, localized frequency is 108.5. At 11.52 and 29 seconds, the Okay, you're right in the middle of the TCA, sir, Grumman 66 Romeo. I would suggest in the future you look at your TCA chart. You just had an aircraft pass right off your left above you at 5,000, and we've run a lot of jets through there right at 3,500. The Grumman pilot, somewhat grumpily, suggested that he had been cleared into the TCA. I was with the coast approach, they just got advised me of this. I was with Ontario approach, and they turned me over to you. What do you suggest that you have? Air Mexico 498, turn left heading 280. It was somewhere at this point that the Papa had flown into the Aero Mexico jet. Air Mexico 498, As air traffic controller Walter White fumed, he was facing a far more serious problem that had gone unnoticed. As the controller testified later, at 1100 hours 5236, he noticed that the ATRS-3 computer was no longer tracking flight 498. Aero Mexico 498, turn left heading 280. Grumman 66, Romeo, stand by. Aero Mexico 498, turn left heading 280, over. Aero Mexico 498, turn 
After several unsuccessful attempts to contact Flight 498, he notified their arrival coordinator that he'd lost radio and radar. Walter White then turned to his supervisor called Russell and said, I think I lost an airplane. This disaster took place six years into his career. He had a degree in professional aeronautics and a master's degree in business, and had spent three years in the U.S. Army as an air traffic controller. Walter White was also a pilot and rated as an instructor. The Grumman flew away unscathed, but the Piper, which did not communicate at all with LA Control, had hit the tail of the airliner. The Piper's engine collided with the left horizontal stabilizer of the DC-9, shearing off the top of the Piper's cockpit, decapitating Kramer and his family. The heavily damaged Piper fell into an empty playground at Cerritos Elementary School. The DC-9, with all of its horizontal stabilizer and most of its vertical stabilizer separated, inverted and entered a dive. It slammed into the residential neighborhood at Holmes Avenue and Riva Circle in Cerritos, smashing into the backyard of a house at 13426 Ashworth Place and exploded on impact. This scattered the DC-9's wreckage across Holmes Avenue and into Coromanita Road, destroying four other houses and damaging seven more. All 64 passengers and crew on board the DC-9 and 15 people on the ground were killed, many in the fire that raged afterwards. Rochelle Neely had a miraculous escape. As a young teen, she had convinced her parents to be allowed to attend a party or would have perished. She described what happened. So my parents, my mom, dad, my little sister, who was, I believe, eight at the time, and her friend were at the house when the plane hit. My mom described it as she thought it was an earthquake. Um, Everything started shaking violently. And then all of a sudden, she said all the windows blew in. uh, Everything was on fire. She heard my dad yelling, get out, get out. She wasn't sure where he was in the house. Luckily, my sister and her girlfriend were right in the room next to her. Everything else was on fire, but she was able to grab them and run into the backyard. Um, my dad ran into, was in the backyard, ran in the house looking for them. Our second story, he said, was gone. It was just sky. And that's where my bedroom was. That's where I would have been. He said uh, fireballs were flying around. uh, Fuel was pouring on him. He got third degree burns on his shoulder and his legs and his feet. He was only wearing a bathing suit. Uh, They ended up meeting up in the backyard. As the fires raged, her parents tried to escape the blaze. They were trapped in the backyard. Um, everything in the front was, everything was on fire. Um, the back, they couldn't jump the, behind the house because that's where the fuselage was on Carmenita Road. And so that whole entire street was on fire. So they were left to jump sideways into neighbor's yards. Um, from the aerial shots, you can see where they had pushed the patio furniture against the fence and jumped into the neighbor's yard. And in the next aerial shot, you can see where they had ripped down uh, the fence. It was a grape stake front fence. They ripped a hole into it to get into the next yard. And so they kept moving sideways, yard to yard to yard, till they were able to get over the 10-foot brick, still in, uh, the brick wall onto Carmenita where there wasn't any fire. Rochelle heard that there had been a disaster on his street and hurried back. 
my aunt and I were allowed to walk down our street that was blocked off. Um, we didn't know what had happened and why everything was blocked off. As we were walking down the street, everything looked normal. All the houses were fine. Um, as we got closer to our street, I started noticing in the trees, there were thing ha things hanging in there like seat belts and uh, airline seats were in the trees. And I could not wrap my brain around what I was seeing or why that was there. As we got closer to my street, there was just more debris in the streets. And as I turned the corner onto our street on Holmes Avenue, our entire street just looked like a war zone. It, everything turned black and white. Uh, our, where our two-story house stood, it was down to the ground of just black rubble. Uh, smoke was coming out of it and there was a firefighter hosing it down. We walked up to him and asked them where my family was because they were all home. And he said that they were gone. Everybody was was gone, that they were dead. So at that moment, I thought I had lost my entire family. After the firefighter had told me that all of my family was gone, um, I think I had gone into shock because I remember passing out. And then when I came to, uh, my aunt and I just walked back where we came from and uh, later, we found out later that afternoon that my family had survived. Um, but for a while there, we thought everyone was gone. Our animals, we had two dogs, they, uh, they did perish in the fire and, um, and our neighbors, we had neighbors that were killed in the crash also. The National Transportation Safety Board began its investigation immediately. Suspicion was placed on the Papa pilot, Kramer. He was known as an extremely safe pilot, but with low hours, 213. One of his flight instructors told investigators they had discussed and used sectional charts during training and that the training had included the numbers used on these charts to show the floor and ceiling altitudes of the TCA. He said the Papa pilot was familiar with VFR hemispherical altitudes, that he was a VFR pilot who liked to look out and that he was more inclined to navigate by visual reference to the ground than by use of navigational radio aids. The flight instructor also stated that he and the Papa pilot had discussed TCAs and other types of restricted airspace, the equipment requirements for flying within restricted airspace, and the arrival and departure procedures used in the LA area. After he had moved to LA from Spokane in Washington, Kramer had received Los Angeles area familiarization training and flew an area familiarization flight with a flight instructor. In March 1986, he flew his plane, November 4891 Foxtrot, from Spokane to Los Angeles. Since December 1985, he had flown seven flights in the Los Angeles area and had logged about 5.5 hours around the city. Flying around LA is confusing. Most VFR pilots who grow up there are used to identifying the area's freeway complex and rely on these underlying highways as landmarks to denote the geographical boundaries of the various segments of the TCA, and they know all about altitude requirements. Kramer was not as familiar with these freeways, and investigators speculated that he might have used the wrong route across towards Big Bay, instead of relying on the more prominent checkpoints such as Disneyland and the Anaheim Stadium to identify his position in order to control his altitude and avoid entering the TCA. But he wasn't a cowboy. He wasn't gung-ho. All instructors agree the 53-year-old was a cautious man, described as methodical and professional in his approach to flying. 
He had sought advice about what to do in the busy airspace in the TCA before the flight and had purchased a Los Angeles terminal area chart which was found open in the cockpit wreckage. The NTSB safety board concluded he had flown into the TCA inadvertently. The Aeromethico cockpit voice recorder was of poor quality, so investigators relied on ATC transmissions from the transcripts. The damage indicated that the Piper had flown into the tail of the McDonald's and the roof of the cockpit was sheared off. Even though the Piper is a much smaller and lighter plane, its engine, a relatively massive object, struck the DC-9 horizontal stabilizer's main support structure, causing it to fail. Longitudinal control and stability was lost, and further controlled flight was impossible from that moment. Flight 498 fell to the ground from around 6,500 feet, and the flight deck and passenger cabin were destroyed by a massive impact force and the post-crash fire. The passengers were unscathed in the initial collision, but could not survive the massive ground impact forces. The pilots and two passengers in the Piper were found in the remains of the airplane's cabin. They were strapped in the left front seat, the right front seat, and the right rear seat when the plane was recovered in the school later. It didn't take long for the investigators to wrap up the cause of this terrible crash. It was also clearly imperative to speed up anti-collision safety in TCAs. The FAA had been warned since the late 1960s that near misses were increasing as commercial aviation ramped up. The FAA had introduced TCAs and other air traffic control measures aimed at reducing mid-air collision potential during the early 70s after a series of mid-air collisions involving 12 air carrier aircraft, but it wasn't enough. The air traffic manager at Los Angeles TRACON said between April 1985 and the time of the Aeromexico accident, there had been 23 TCA incursions, and remarkably, these continued after the crash. Another 32 incidents reported in the six months to December 1986, most of these ascribed to TCA violations. This was an epidemic. Shockingly, it was also realized that the reports had only gone up because the airport safety team was now more alert after the Aeromexico collision. This meant there'd been dozens more near misses in the years running up to this disaster. Fate had not intervened until 1986. It was apparent that the flight safety management team was unable to cope with the situation and that identifying who the pilots were breaking the rules was a big problem because they just didn't know one from the other. These incidents were difficult to blame on a single pilot because the chain of evidence was missing. That is where an ATC hands off the tracked aircraft from one sector to another, the workload was too high. This was pretty much the last straw, and on June 11, 1987, the FAA issued a Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, Terminal Control Area Classification, and TCA Pilot and Equipment Requirements. In English, what they did was make it a rule that all aircraft entering a TCA had to be carrying a transponder with enhanced Mode C requirements. That displays the aircraft's unique score code, position, and altitude. The NTSB accident report said the controller had not spotted the Piper and was fixated on the Grumman. Another factor is that the decreased prominence of the Piper's target on the display may have been a factor in failing to observe the danger. Later he said he did not see this. So in a nutshell, the pilot of the Piper was to blame, but three other factors linked to the controller exacerbated the situation. First, that he was distracted by the entry of the Grumman into the TCA. The second is that there was a change of runways for Flight 498, which confused things slightly. And third, 
possibility that the primary radar return of the Piper did not appear on Walter White's display. Because of all, or at least one of these three factors, the ATC did not warn the Aeromexico pilot of a Piper PA-28. Then turning to the pilots aboard the stricken airliner, both airplanes would have been visible to each other for at least 1 minute 13 seconds before the collision, but with certain limitations. The visibility study showed that the Piper was visible through the centre windshield of the DC-9 as viewed from the first officer's seat on the right. The first officer was flying the plane while the captain was dealing with the radio calls. I mention this because at the time pilots were using see and avoid visual techniques, as I mentioned, and this to avoid collisions. And the investigators found that the Piper pilot had an 80% probability of seeing the DC-9 at least 15 seconds before the collision. That was just enough time to avoid flying into the large airliner. With both pilots of the DC-9 looking out, the probability of their sighting this Piper 15 seconds before the collision was 30%. Obviously, with one pilot looking out, this dropped to 15%. With regard to see and avoid, the evidence indicated that the pilot of the Piper had a higher probability of seeing the DC-9. The Aeromexico flight crew had a negligible chance of seeing the small plane. Apart from the mode C transponder and TCA area simplifications, the safety board also recommended the most noteworthy innovation, the development of TCAS, traffic collision avoidance systems. The evidence shows that had flight 498 been equipped with TCAS or the Piper equipped with a C mode transponder, we probably wouldn't be talking about this. A short while later, on January 15, 1987, SkyWest Flight 834, which was a passenger commuter, collided with the privately operated Mooney on a training flight that had taken off from an uncontrolled airport south of Salt Lake City. The Mooney pilots had not communicated with the approach controller, and its transponder was not C-mode. Two pilots and six passengers on the SkyWest plane died, and two pilots on the Mooney. Then another mid-air collision occurred five days later on January 20th, 1987, near Independence in Missouri. A U.S. Army King Air en route to Leavenworth, Kansas, collided with a Piper that was climbing en route under VFR after departure from downtown airport in Kansas City. The pilot of the Piper had not established communication with ATC after departure. Three people aboard each of those planes were killed. Then in May 1987, there was another collision in Orlando when a North American 86 Sky writing aircraft hit a Cessna 340 outbound from Orlando International. Both sets of pilots were talking to Orlando Approach, but the ATC-6 did not have mode C transponder equipment. The C and avoid system was not working, as both sets of pilots were using that process and missed each other. The safety board said the FAA should reduce the number of VFR flights into TCAs. A task force was set up after the Cerritos Aeromexico disaster. It made 40 recommendations that were squeezed down to 39, and all of these were approved by the FAA's administration. Included simplification of boundaries, introduction of transponders, new TCA rules, the development of airborne collision avoidance systems. The FAA installed new radar systems, consolidated five Southern California radar centers to a spot near San Diego, and reconfigured Los Angeles flight paths to keep small planes away from jetliners. Potential mid-air collisions have dramatically decreased. By 2014, there were around 80 near misses reported by pilots in America, down from 420 the year before the Cerritos crash. 
The Cerritos disaster was also America's first to be followed by mass counselling for survivors, rescue and aid workers. The Red Cross brought in psychologists and the city followed up with counselling for people with troubling memories. Flight 498 was put back into service from Mexico City International Airport to McCarran International Airport via Monterey using an Embryo 190 operated by Aeromexico subsidiary Aeromexico Connect. But as of February 2018, flight number 498 is no longer used. Aeromexico still continues to fly to LA, but today the flight is known as 646 using Boeing's. Families of the victims took the federal authorities to court and blamed the air traffic controller Walter White for the crash, saying he'd failed to spot the piper on his radar. White defended himself, saying he never saw the small blip. We've looked closely at this accident, like others, where a number of mistakes combined to create the perfect moment for a disaster. 70 lawsuits, with claims ranging from wrongful death through property damage, were consolidated into one case. Then, because art does imitate life, a similar accident is depicted in the Breaking Bad episode ABQ. The show's main character has the same name as the air traffic controller in real life, Walter White. The real Walter White ATC was so shocked by the accident that he couldn't recall what happened in the weeks after this collision and apparently never returned to work again as an air traffic controller. A federal jury ruled in April 1989 that the FAA and the pilot of the small plane were equally responsible for the crash. As a result, the federal government paid out $56 million in damages. The estate of the Papa pilot, William Kramer, was liable for $1.2 million of this, but it was rapidly depleted leading to taxpayers funding the rest. Additional cases have been heard over the years. In 1990, a federal judge awarded $4.1 million to the families of three men who were on board and on their way home from a fishing trip and died in the accident. Rochelle, meanwhile, has only recently managed to overcome her fear of planes. So Rochelle Neely is writing a book about her life. I wish you well, Rochelle. May you continue your long recovery from the disaster of Aeromexico Flight 498 all the way back in 1986. Please rate the podcast on iTunes. It helps increase visibility. If you want to contact me, you can email me through the site desmondlatham.com, desmondlatham.blog, or direct message me at deslatham on Twitter. Until next, aviate, navigate, and communicate safely. Goodbye.